Scripture reading for today is taken from Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. I would encourage you to follow along in your own Bible if you could. I think this is where Trey's message will be from. Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. And have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Well, howdy, folks. I'm glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them at this point in time and turn with me to the book of Malachi. We will be at Malachi chapter 2, the text that uh, Jay just read for us, Malachi chapter 2, as we continue on in our sermon series in the book of Malachi entitled Half-Hearted, Half-Hearted. I trust that you're there. Let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. Father, we pray that you would bless the teaching and preaching and hearing of your word. Father, may your word sink deep into our hearts as we hear your call for us to return to you, to um, repent of our sin, uh, to turn away from our disobedience, and to find grace and healing, forgiveness and obedience through your word. Father, may it go out and not return empty, we pray, in the name of Christ. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You know, the final eruption of uh, Mount St. Helens was in May of 1980, and it was not a sudden event. In particular, for months, the authorities warned people to evacuate. Yet, despite of that, and despite the the seriousness of, of that threat, some people chose to disregard these Warnings, And probably the best known uh, man to do that was a man by the name of Harry Randall Truman. Now, he was 83 years old at the time, and he owned the lodge there at the base of Mount St. Helens. It was called Mount St. Helens Lodge. And uh, Truman, uh, before it blew, told reporters this, and I quote, I don't have any idea whether it will blow, but I don't believe it to the point that I'm going to pack up and leave. Well, on May 18th of 1980, we know what happened. Truman and his lodge were buried underneath 150 feet of mud and debris as Mount St. Helens erupted. His body was never found. Friends, this morning we are going to see and learn about warnings. Warnings are an act of grace. They are a call for us to change our behavior in order to avoid devastating 
consequences. If you recall, last week we were in the second disputation in the book of Malachi. We saw God's charge specifically to the priest, right? God charged the, the priest. You are not dishonoring, you're, you're failing to honor me. You're dishonoring my name. We saw the priest's cross-examination. They questioned that. God, how are we dishonoring you, right? And then we saw God's confirmation of that charge. He said, you're dishonoring me by offering sacrifices that are unacceptable to me. You're dishonoring me both in your actions and in your attitudes. If you remember, they they saw service to God as a burden, right? So we saw the charge and the cross-examination, and then we saw the confirmation. And this morning, we will see a, a caution, because unlike all of the other disputations in the book of Malachi, here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, we see uh, an, an addendum, if you will. It, it's a postscript, right? The Lord cautions the priests. The Lord gives them a warning as to what has happened in their life and what will happen if they keep it up, if they keep on dishonoring him the way that they were doing. He gives them a warning. And friends, warnings... Warnings are an act of grace. It is God's kindness to us that he warns us what will happen if we continue along in the path that we are on. And so Malachi this morning says to to the rebellious priests many, many years ago, and he says to rebellious Christians today, here and now, return to me, return to me, repent and find life. So our sermon is simply entitled, Return to God. Let's begin this morning with the statement of the warning. So if you're in your Bible, and I hope you are, let's take a look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where we see the statement of the warning given. That is the, the crux of the matter. God gives the priests his warning. Let's read together. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not res- uh, resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. Wow. What a warning that God gives to these priests. As I read this section, four questions came to mind. So let's kind of work through these verses in this way. The first question that came to my mind was this. What were the blessings that God was referring to? Because, because notice, right, there in, in verse 2, God says, I will curse your blessings. He's speaking to the priests. Well, well what blessings is he referring to? Now, initially, uh, you may be thinking, well, of course, uh, in the Old Covenant, there were promised uh, blessings to covenant obedience. Right, We see that in Leviticus chapter 26. We see it primarily in Deuteronomy 28 that God says, If you obey me, O Israel, here are the covenant blessings that I will pour out upon you. And that's certainly true. But I think Malachi and God here has, has something else in mind. Here I think these blessings that God is referring to was the priestly position in and of itself. That is the practice and the, the privilege of being a priest. And all that that entailed, I think that was the blessing that he had in mind. Simply being a priest as unto the Lord and all that it entailed. And so when you look through scripture, you find out what some of these blessings of of being a priest were. First of all, the blessings included their status among the people. That is, they were to be highly regarded 
uh, among the people. You see that in, in 1 Samuel 2. Secondly, it, it was a privilege. It was a privilege for the priest to approach God Almighty in behalf of the people. We see that in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 7. It was a privilege for them to go before the Lord. Not only that, but they received a portion of the meat that was sacrificed. That was their provision, right? And that was a blessing that they were to enjoy. Deuteronomy 18, verse 3. And not only that, but you, you're probably familiar with this this priestly blessing. We see it in number six, right? We use it often, uh, even in the church today. So the, the, the priest had this privilege of pronouncing God's blessing upon the people. And all of these things were the blessing that I think God refers to here. He says, I'm going to curse your blessings. That is your very role of being a priest. But second, it says that he had already done that. Did you notice that, right? Take a look at verse 2. If you do not listen, if you don't resolve to honor my name, I will send future chants, right? I will, I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them. Past tense, right? So in what way had God already cursed the blessings of the priests being a priest? Well, if you continue to read in the book of Malachi, we, we get some clues. Uh, two of them in particular. Uh, one of them comes in this section. There in verse 9 in chapter 2, we see that the, these priests that, that Malachi addressed, um, they were being despised. They were not highly regarded. The people of Israel on that day didn't look upon them with favor, right? And that was one of the curses that they were already experiencing. But not only that, As we get into chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, we see that the people, God is going to indict the people that they aren't uh, bringing in the tithes and the offerings. Uh, they're, They're being unfaithful to him. Well, a part of that, a part of those offerings went to provide for the daily food for the priests. And we find out that the people weren't doing that. And so these priests essentially were not getting the adequate provision of food that they needed. And God says, listen, I have already given consequences to you, you disobedient priest. But not only that, the third question is this, how would he do that in the future, right? Because God says, yes, I have already cursed them. But he also says, I will send a curse, right? Future tense upon your blessing. So, so how would he do that? Well, I think it's pretty clear in verse 3, right? Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants, number one. And number two, I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. And number three, and you will be carried off with it. Here God says, my priests, here's what will happen. Here are the consequences. If you keep disregarding me, if you keep breaking my law, number one, Number one, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I take that to mean that they will have no more descendants, that they will be infertile, or that their descendants will no longer be in the priestly role. Number two, notice the the vivid imagery, right? This is gross. God says, I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. Does that need explaining, right? God says, I will embarrass you. I will humiliate you. But not only that, notice, and you will be carried off with it. So see, just as the refuse from the sacrifices that the priest would offer, that refuse would be, would be taken outside of the city, God says, you priests, you will be not only taken outside of the city, you will be taken out of office. So here's the culmination of the consequences that God says will come upon these disobedient priests, right? You will be ultimately removed from office. So, so what is God doing here? He's laying out consequences, right? He's saying, you have disobeyed me, and I'm going to give you a warning. Here's how 
You've already experienced some of the consequences, and here's how you will experience some of the consequences if you do not repent. And did you notice? It's escalating, right? It's an escalating consequence. God graciously, graciously increased the level of consequences that he allowed the priest to experience. Why? Why? To wake them up, right? To, to wake them up from their spiritual stupor. So uh, you've probably been to elementary school before. Uh, in my elementary school, it kind of worked like that. It was, a, it was a, a point system. So for the first offense, you get your name on the board. For the second offense, you get a check mark by your name. For the third offense, you lose a smiley face, right? And for the fourth offense, you go to the principal's office or, or whatever, right? You, you get the point. That's how we do it in education. There are increasingly worse consequences for continued disobedience. Teachers do that to be gracious to the students. They want the students to wake up and to realize what you're doing is not in line with what you should be doing. And that's what God is graciously doing to his priests. He's saying, listen, you're already experiencing some consequence. There are more to come if you don't repent. The fourth question is this. How should these priests, what should they do? How should they respond to these warnings? Well, well we see it in verse 2. It's implied there. God says, if you do not listen, number one, if you do not listen, and if you do not, number two, resolve to honor my name. See, they hadn't listened to God's voice. They hadn't been listening to God's word, nor had they repented. They hadn't resolved to honor the Lord's name. Literally, they weren't taking it to heart. That is, they hadn't listened to God's word, number one, and then number two, they weren't taking God's word to heart which in in the Hebrew mind describes somebody's will, their volition. So he's simply saying, you're not listening to me, O priests, and you're not allowing my word to enter into your life and to change your life decisions, right? But that's what they should do. By warning them, he's saying, this is how you should respond, priest. You You should listen to me, first of all, and second of all, you should repent. And that leads us to our first lesson of the morning. It's a simple principle that we see in this passage and in many, many other passages. And the lesson is simply this. There are divine consequences for disobedient disciples. There are divine consequences for disobedient disciples. That's what we see. These priests were disobedient disciples of God. Just as there were consequences for the old covenant priests who disobeyed the terms of their covenant. So there are consequences for God's new covenant priests. For Christians, remember uh, the passage we saw in Peter last week, who disobeyed the terms of our covenant, the new covenant with God. And so as I think through the Bible, and I was thinking through the New Testament specifically, what are the consequences for New Testament Christians? What are the consequences, divine consequences, that God says, these might come upon you if you continue to be disobedient disciples? And I have a whole list. Let me just share them with you. So what happens, what may happen in our life if we act like these old covenant priests as new covenant priests, if we disregard God's word, if we don't listen to him, if our heart is set on disobedience, what, what might happen? I can think of lots of things. Number one, our relationship with God is hindered. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Our relationship with God is hurt. We see that in First John, John chapter 14. When we come to place our faith in Christ, we enter into a relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. And yet when we rebel as His children, that relationship is hurt. Not only that, but we lose 
fruitfulness. Remember John 5, verse 14, right? You can do uh, nothing apart from me. Jesus says, abide in me, right? And only when you abide in me can you be fruitful. Well, when we're pursuing disobedience as disciples, well, it's no wonder that our fruitfulness, our effectiveness for God is also hindered. Not only that, but several passages, John chapter 15, verse 7, 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, show us that our, our prayer life is hindered, that God won't answer our prayers when we're pursuing a course that is not his course. Not only that, but there's a loss of our testimony, right? Our witness before the world is hurt. Not only that, but we, experiences, we experience the, the consequences of our own poor choices. We see that in Romans 1, in particular, that God says, if you want to pursue that course, disciple, there are going to be natural consequences that will come upon you from your poor choices. God may allow those to come into our life. Not only that, but... Uh, but the Holy Spirit within us, right? Ephesians 4.30. The Holy Spirit that lives within us is grieved. But not only that, but Psalm 6.3. I love these, these psalms of, of, of repentance. We see that as a Christian, when we are in rebellious sin, that our own heart is grieved, right? Have you been there before? You've disobeyed God and you know it and you're pursuing stubborn rebellion and your heart is broken. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. You are grieved of heart. You have a guilty conscience, Psalm 32. Not only that, but we lose eternal rewards. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, right? Every man will stand before the judgment seat of God and receive reward upon what we've done, both good or evil. And so as Christians, when we choose to be disobedient disciples, there is loss of reward. Not only that, but Hebrews 12. Remember the wonderful passage that God treats us as his sons and daughters, and a part of his heavenly fathership of us is that he disciplines us, right, when we go through disobedient spells. So there may be divine discipline that comes upon us, just like we see here in the book of Malachi. Not only that, but church discipline may occur if necessary, Matthew 18. And not only that, and notice the scale is getting increasingly difficult, but we see in certain passages like 1 Corinthians 11, we see in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, at some point there may even be divine illness or even death that may occur for disobedient disciples. So these passages that we just talked about and referenced, they describe the loss of our blessings as believers in Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, right? We have to bring it home. Brothers and sisters, are we experiencing any of these consequences today? If so, God may be wanting to wake us up, just like he was wanting to wake his priests up in the Old Testament here in Malachi, which leads us then to a second lesson. Not only are there divine consequences for disobedient disciples, but what do we learn from this passage about repentance? How should we respond when we find ourselves in in, in these shoes, in the shoes of these disobedient priests, right? Well, repentance, we find out from this passage, begins with listening to God. That's very clear to me. Repentance begins with listening to God, and it leads to a decision to change our lives. So we must begin, right? Notice the passage again in, in verse 2, right? I want you to listen. He says, if you don't listen to me, repentance begins with listening to God through his word. Uh, one, of our, uh, one of our daughters, uh, uh, daughter number two, uh, she's kind of in that stage when uh, sometimes maybe her listening isn't all that, uh, all that good, her attentiveness. So it's it's pretty regular thing in our household to say, Sawyer, do you want to go to the bathroom? What? Sawyer, will you do this? What? You know, she, she doesn't hear well or she's not listening well. So we have to speak slowly for her to be able to, to understand that, right? Her listening sometimes struggles. And a lot of kids do that. Um, friends, I want to ask you a question. 
How has your listening been lately? How has your listening been to the word of God lately? Because repentance begins with listening. We listen to God's word, right? We say, God, I hear what you have to say, and I've been doing it my own way. But not only that, but it leads to a real heart change, a decision to, to change our, our ways, to, to live life differently. So we say, God, I was wrong, you were right, but not only that, but it has to get to the heart level. Our volition, our will has to be affected so that we say, God, I was wrong, you were right, and I want to do it your way, right? I surrender my will in this particular area of my life, and please give me grace to pursue obedience, right? And so we've seen here in the, the statement of this warning, We've seen a couple lessons. Let's move on from the statement of the warning into verse 4, where we see the substance of the warning. The substance of the warning. That is, what was the purpose behind it? Here's the question that verse 4 answers. Why did God give this warning to the priests? What was his motive? Well, I think we see it in verse 4. Let's read it together. He says, And you will know, and you will know that I have sent you this warning. Why? And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that, here's the purpose, here's the reason, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. So, so why was God giving these warnings to the priests? Well, it's, it's pretty clear. God's warning here was not so much to punish them, but to purify them, right? Not to punish them, but to purify them. He wanted to confront them, to motivate them to repent, and in doing so, His covenant, his promise that there would always be a priest from the lineage of this man named Levi, from his branch, from his family tree, that there would always be a priest serving the Lord as he promised so many years ago. So the substance of the warning was not punitive, it was to purify. He wanted them to change so that his relationship with them would continue. And that leads us to a third lesson this morning. A third lesson is simply this. Divine consequences and warnings are acts of grace. When God gives us consequences, when he spells them out, when he says, this is what will happen if you do this, and he gives us warnings like he does these priests, those are acts of grace. See, just as God's warning to the priests in Malachi's day were a means of grace to continue his covenant with them, God's warning to us, his new covenant priests, they are also acts of grace so that our covenant with him through faith in Jesus Christ might continue. So we need to begin to ask ourselves uh, questions like this. How do we view God's commands? When we read the Bible, when we look into the New Testament and we see, you should do this, or you shouldn't do that. How do we see his commands? How do we see God's prohibitions, right? When God says, beware of this behavior, when he says, beware of this attitude or of adopting that belief, how do we see his warnings to us? How are we supposed to see them? Do we see them as chains holding us back from happiness? Or do we see them as a big red do not enter sign, danger ahead, warning, danger, that's of course intended to preserve our life, to preserve our spiritual life and well-being? I ran across a a tragic story um, this week as I was preparing for this. Apparently this happened back in 2008, but there was a a young man whose name was Asia Ferguson. Asia Ferguson. And uh, to make a long story short, what happened is he and his family were uh, at Six Flags, uh, the one apparently in Georgia. And uh, uh, they were having a day. He uh, goes off with his friends 
And uh, for reasons unknown, he decides to, um, to climb and to scale two fences, two fences that were uh, restricting people from entering into the Batman roller coaster section. Uh, to make a long story short, he climbed the fences. He was struck by the Batman roller coaster, uh, and he passed away. And his father, uh, when, a- when asked, why did your son do this? He says, nobody knows but my son in the Lord. It's a tragic story. But as we think about it, most likely what happened is this young man saw these fences, which most certainly had warning signs. Do not enter, enter. Danger, right? He saw these warning signs as restrictive of his fun, rather than for the preservation of his life. And he paid the ultimate price. Friends, how do we view the warnings of God? Do we view them as chains keeping us back from fun? Or do we see them as warning, gracious warning signs saying, danger, do not enter, spiritual death is found here. Well, let's move from the substance of the warning to the standard of the warning in verses 5 through 7. See, we've seen God give the statement of it. Here, here's what will happen. If you persist, O priest, he said, and here's the reason why I'm giving it to you, the substance in verse 4. I want my covenant with you to continue. But then in verses 5 through 7, it's, it's, it's a great section because God holds up the standard uh, of the priesthood to them. He says, this is what you should be, O priests. This is why I'm giving you warnings and consequences because this is what you should be like. He holds up the standard for their behavior in verses 5 through 7. But before we get there, I'd like to share a story with you. I ran across a story of a, of a factory manager. And he was running across a, a bit of a problem because uh, what was going on was that uh, production was really tapering off. And he noticed this. And then he noticed that people were increasingly tardy from their lunch hour break, right? They were taking too long for lunch and not returning back on time. And so when the whistle blew in the factory, <clears throat> lots of people weren't there. And so he decided... To, to take some suggestions from his people. So he, he, he made a sign with a suggestion box, uh, even with a cash reward for the best worker who could figure out a way to, to kind of solve this problem. And the question that he posed to his men uh, and women were this, what should we do to ensure that every person will be inside the factory when the whistle blows? And of course, many people gave their suggestions and their thoughts, and uh, he, he picked the best one, and the problem was solved. But he, he was a man who enjoyed a bit of humor. And so so there was one suggestion that was uh, given that he just felt obligated to share, even though it wasn't the winner. Uh, this was the one he, he read to his folks. So in answer to the, to the problem, what should we do to ensure that every man inside the factory will, will be here when the whistle blows? One, one person, one smart person uh, entered in, said this, and I quote, Let the last man in blow the whistle. Get it? Let the last man in Blow the whistle. That's one way to ensure that everybody will be there before the whistle. So what was that guy trying to do other than be funny, right? Other than trying to be funny, he was trying to lower the standard, was he not? Right? He was trying to, to lower the standard. That's what the priests had done. They had taken God's standard for what they were supposed to do and be, and they had lowered it, and they thought it was okay. Well, God now raises it here in verses 5 through 7. He raises the standard up for them, and he says, priests, this is what you should be, right? Let's read it together, starting in verse 5. He says, My covenant with him, speaking of Levi, the very first Levitical priest, my covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. I gave them to him. This called for reverence 
and he revered me, and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Verse 7, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. So God says to the priests, Look at the original priest, Levi. Look what he was like. This is how you are to be. Specifically, number one, how were they supposed to be in their relationship to God? Well, Levi feared God. Levi revered him. Levi walked with him intimately and personally, but these priests weren't doing that. Levi, as it related to God's word, he instructed the people faithfully from God's word. These priests weren't doing that. Levi related as it relates to his, his morality or, or his obedience or his fighting of sin. It says that Levi walked in uprightness or in righteousness, right? He fought sin. He pursued obedience, but not these priests. What about Levi as they, has he related to the people? What was he supposed to, to be like to the, the people of Israel? Well, it says specifically that he influenced many people away from sin, right? Away from immorality. So God says, this is what you're supposed to be like, O priest, And it leads us to a fourth and final principle, and that's this. God holds spiritual leaders to high standards. God holds the spiritual leadership of his assembly to high standards. We see it in the Old Covenant people of God. We see it very clearly in the New Testament as well, in places like 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, when the New Testament gives us qualifications for both elder pastors and deacons. We see a remarkable similarity. So as as the the new covenant people of God, as elders and pastors and and deacons, how are we supposed to relate to God? Well, the New Testament tells us that we are to be devout uh, in our relationship to God. How are new covenant leaders to relate to God's word? Well, we see it in uh, in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, that we, I, are to hold fast, and I'm quoting here, hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, and that we are to be able to teach. What about the New Testament leader as he relates to sin? Well, we are to be, quote, above reproach. 1 Timothy chapter uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 2. What about our relationship with the people of God? Well, the Bible says that we are to be respectable and we are to have a good reputation among the people. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 7. So we see remarkable parallels between the leadership under the old covenant and the leadership of the new covenant. So friends, when you are looking for pastors and elders and deacons, this is what you should look for. And if you, pers- if you pursue to be one of those, that's what you should aim for. But let me apply it to you a little bit more specifically. Not only should you look for that in your leaders in the local church, but you should look for that when you're looking to, for people to take instruction from. So, friends, in today's technological age, and this is a good thing, we have more access than ever before. We can benefit more than ever before uh, from gifted teachers and leaders in the global church, right? So I can get on almost anybody's podcast, right? I can turn on the TV and watch uh, a Sunday service and a sermon from all sorts of kind of people. And this is a blessing, but it can also be a cursing because did you notice in this passage the emphasis on how God's people, the leaders of God's people, how they are to speak and teach God's word faithfully. Now these Old Testament priests weren't doing it. And friends, Many people in many churches and many pulpits today, and I pray it's not this one, aren't doing that very well. See, let me caution you. As the emphasis here in Malachi 
is on the faithful teaching of the word by the priests, your filter for whose podcast you listen to, whose TV show you watch, should not be how entertaining they are. It shouldn't be how encouraging they are. It shouldn't be how eccentric they are. It shouldn't be how esteemed they are. It should be how exact they are with the word of God. It should be how exact they are with the word of God. And that, don't be duped into thinking that a person is preaching the Bible because they read the Bible or they quote the Bible, right? Satan does that. He quotes the Bible. Friends, the question is not, um, are they reading the Bible or quoting the Bible? Are they doing it accurately? Are they doing it in context? Are they considering other scriptures? Are they drawing the text out or are they reading into the text? Is it exegesis or is it eisegesis? So friends, be warned. Be careful because God holds spiritual leaders to high standards. Well, as we close, let's take a look at verses 8 and 9. The source of the warning. The source of the warning. God repeats to kind of close this section, the second disputation. He reiterates the reason why he is warning them in verses 8 and 9. But you have turned away, excuse me, but you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Notice the stark contrast between Levi and these priests, right? Levi turned people away from sin, but what had these people done, right? They had turned people to sin. They had caused many people to stumble. And so friends, here's how we're going to close the morning. In this section, both the statement, the substance, the standard, and the source of this warning, we see all sorts of principles, right? Principles to live by. We see there are divine consequences for disobedient disciples. And we see what repentance looks like. It's, it's listening to God's word and allowing it to, to affect our will, right? We see that God holds spiritual leaders to high standards. And, and friends, we should too. All of these lessons to teach us, I think, a simple overarching theme. And that is that we... When we sin and we turn from God, God calls us back. He is gracious to us. He gives us warnings. He says, come back to me. Return to me. Repent. Start listening to me again and allow your heart and life to be affected. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you just a a moment, a minute or two to, to spend some time in prayer to go before the Lord, to ask the Lord to search your heart, to see how he's speaking to you, to see uh, if there's areas of unconfessed sin, uh, things that you're stubbornly holding on to in your own life. And we'll close with a song of repentance and we'll be done. So friends, let's pray. I'll lead us in a short time of prayer and the worship team will come to lead us in a closing song. So let's pray.